0: To date, we've always flipped them. Um, Our target was 18 to 24 months for these flips, but we are transitioning into what we call legacy ownership. We want to look at these deals by a little bit newer deals instead of the 1960s and 70s. I want to start looking at 1980 and 1990 and do 10 to 30 year performance to see how these deals would look, holding them long term. Um, The reason for that, is all of these people I know that are much, much older than I am, that have had successful careers, whether they've worked in real estate their whole life or had another business and then put their profits in real estate, the people that have the most stability and wealth have held.
1: As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Maya's Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and have Ben Ouellette with me today. Ben, how are you?
0: Great, man. How are you doing today?
1: Man, I'm so excited to hear from you guys. Um, you're down in Arizona, right?
0: Yeah, we are. Um, it's been beautiful weather. We actually just got back from mountain biking this morning. Bruce and I like to get out all the time. We, you know, we go usually two or three days a week. Wow so
1: if you would do me a favor and tell the guests a little bit about yourself and kind of your background in multifamily
0: yeah so my name is ben uh work at bakerson with my father bruce and we have been in real estate he's been in real estate since 2002 i got in in 2012 and we started in single family homes buying the worst homes across south and west phoenix we were at the auctions, REOs, short sales, you name it. We were trying to hit every avenue back in, um, you know, from 2010 to 2015, after the crash of the market, there was so many foreclosed homes here in, in uh, the Phoenix market that we were uh, having a blast wholesaling them. And then we got introduced into multifamily. We started wholesaling a couple apartment buildings and then we watched a couple of guys, you know, we were giggling, we'd, we'd make 20 to 50 grand on a, on a flip, And then the next guy would go put a bunch of money into it, um, re-rent all the units, put it up for sale. And we're looking at the spreads like, man, that guy just made like a half million dollars. If he can do it, why can't we do that? And we partnered with a couple of guys that they brought the deals. We brought the money and they brought the operations expertise. We got to those two deals. We said, well, we can do this. Um, So we went out and started finding deals ourselves, raising the equity and, uh, We've been doing that since 2015 forward. Wow. So
1: was it as easy as you guys thought it was going to be once you got into it?
0: Um, I mean, there were some deals that were, you know, pretty easy. um, But there are deals that started to go sideways. Um, The big thing that we had challenges with in the beginning is really finding a good property management company, Um, especially going into these rougher areas, if you will we bought a lot of properties that had crime and property management companies, in my opinion, are not really set up to make money during that transition phase. So they start to lose interest when you're emptying out units, um, kicking out the crime, you know, they, they, there might be times that they're getting threats of people that don't want to be kicked out because now we're disturbing the the status quo that, of how that building was managed for years. And The managers just, they like to manage an easy building. You give them a B-class building that's already running. You're going to do some quick value add. They love that. But we love going into the rough neighborhoods and really serving the underserved. And it's taken us quite a while to find that property management company that's really been a match for us. Um, One of the deals that we bought was actually down in Tucson. I'll talk about that one for a little bit. It was a 52-unit building and there was some rent controls. Half of the building uh, was on what's called a Lura land use uh, restriction agreement. And so half the property was controlled in the rent. We had a lot of paperwork that had to be sent to um, the government agencies to make sure that we were in compliance. But the first management company we hired, they didn't really know that C, C plus class building very well. We'd go in. We're not doing full rehabs. Uh, we are doing rehabs but they're not brand new kitchens you know tile flooring by any means we're going into doing white walls uh vinyl flooring repaint the cabinets resurface the countertops re-rent the units because the rent in those units was pretty cheap around 500 to 600 dollars a month and they were still safe functional durable clean for our core values they just weren't a class and that property manager they just started Vacating all the units. We were down to 50% vacant and they were not leasing any new units. Um, so that's when we said, hold on, what's going on? I had to fire them. Because at 50% vacant, your building cannot cash flow. I don't care what anybody says. No. The owner is now making the debt payment. And we call that the value of death because every month you're paying out money and that manager didn't have a plan of action to fill it back up. They kept saying, well, we need to renovate the units. We're like you have 10 or 15 renovated units, start leasing them. But they just, we did not see eye to eye. How big was the property? 52 units. Okay. So yeah, you can imagine having 26 vacant units. Um, the, and the challenge was that property did have a lot of um, crime. The previous management company that was there, what they did is they went and they've filled up the properties with people that couldn't rent anywhere else so a lot of felons, people that were just out of jail, um sex offenders, um you name it, they were all there. And the the challenge is that once you had all of those vacant units, now the transient community, uh, the homeless started breaking into the units for a place to sleep at night because when you have that many vacant units, the activity level at your property is down. So we would have weekly Doors being kicked in and people sleeping in the units.
1: Wow. So Uh, you said Tucson, how far is that from where you guys
0: are? So Tucson is about two hours from Phoenix. Okay. Um, it's, it's still a major metropolitan uh, area here. It's the, the MSA is about just over a million in population. Um, we do a lot of investing in Tucson because that market was it was kind of the forgotten about market. Phoenix it had so much activity. People would come from, you know, the West Coast, there were people come from Texas, um, the Midwest, they were all flocking to Phoenix because the, the growth curve here was amazing. The rent growth was awesome. Um, the, our, po- our population growth is awesome. The job growth was awesome. And the challenge is every building that went up for sale had 10 to 30 offers on it. So you had to find deals off market, but the sellers are becoming more sophisticated. Why would they sell a deal off market when they can bring it to the market and get 10 to 30 offers? Well, the challenge with that for us as a buyer, as a buyer, you always want as cheap as possible. And as a seller, you always want it to sell as, you know the highest price possible. And there were other buyers that were willing to take the risk and pay a lot more uh, for the property than we could pay. What? And because the, the population and rent growth is so good, they were banking on rent numbers two to three years from now. When we do our underwriting, we underwrite what can we for sure get year one, and then we might put a little bit of rent growth in there. But we're not banking on, you know, let's say the market rent is thousand dollars per unit. We're not saying, oh yeah, three years from now I can for sure get twelve hundred. Well, if, if there's no other properties getting twelve hundred in that n- neighborhood, I'm not budgeting twelve hundred. I'm going to budget. If, if everybody's getting a thousand, I'm budgeting a thousand and I'm going to stress test it at say 900, 850, just to see if worst case scenario, if we have to lower the rents to be the most competitive building in the neighborhood. We could do that temporarily. Right. So that's why we went down to Tucson. We went down there, we bought um, five deals in seven months. Um, there was a deal that was on the market and we noticed that a buyer backed out. So we immediately got in the car, drove down there, looked at it, went to the restaurant, wrote an offer, and headed to that seller um, within an hour of touring the property. And he accepted it that evening. So we just we saw the opportunity and said, hey, for some, some reason, somebody backed up. We have to buy this deal. From there, we bought, so that was a 32 unit. And then we bought a 34 unit off market, a 74 unit. 61 unit and a 12 unit all within like 7 months.
1: Are you guys buying this stuff in all cash?
0: So we were using hard, hard money. Uh most of these deals because of the no NOI um some of these deals we purchased 50% vacant. Um banks wouldn't touch that stuff. And we're going in and putting anywhere from, you know, 10 000 to 20,000 per unit in a lot of these buildings banks were like, hey, we don't want this. Or if if they were to lend money, they were super low on leverage and they wanted personal guarantees and cross-collateralizing and all this crazy stuff. And we said, no, we're buying this deal as a business. Each of these properties are in their own LLC. We have to treat each property as a separate business. So hard money lenders really stepped up and they would go, even though they're expensive on interest, they would go high on the loan proceeds. And so that way we had to bring in less equity. and uh, we had a couple of guys here in town that we've worked with for years and we still continue to work with because they're willing to sometimes go 80 to 90 percent of cost. And, uh, if you, if you use them short term, it's not that bad because there were some of these deals we were able to negotiate hundreds of thousands off because we would have no financing contingency in our offer. We would have fast inspection periods, fast closing periods. There was one deal we bought with uh, a 30 day close. Whoa. And we were able to get about 400,000 off from the highest offer because he was already in contract to purchase another building. And I think it was like three or 400, it was anyways, hundreds of thousands off, but he needed a guaranteed close and he was willing to, you know, reduce the price that much from a, you know, go to an operator that he knew could close.
1: So have you guys learned any hard lessons with dealing with, you know, these hard money lenders?
0: Um, for sure. The hard money where it gets expensive and I'll tie it back to the property management is if you have issues with the property management and your timelines keep getting extended. Well, some of these hard money lenders are between nine to 12% interest and we budget using them <clears throat> only for one to one and a half years maximum. Well, if your property manager is not performing and that you start going into two or three years using this hard money loan, it gets quite expensive, especially if you have a, you know, $2 million and up, uh, you know, a $2 million loan, 12%, that's 240,000 a year for your interest. Well, if you go th- three years with that, you can see it gets quite expensive quickly.
1: No question. And so, so are you, it's only payments. What's that? Are you making interest only payments with these loans?
0: Yes. These are all interest only. Um, and a lot of them we our loan terms are usually around 18 months, but there are times when we've had those property management issues that we've had to go for extensions. And the nice thing about the lenders that we've worked with is we have a long relationship with them. So they understand if we go to them, you know, we're on current in all of our payments and we ask for an extension, we always get it if we need it uh, versus some of these, you know, banks that we don't have a relationship with. It might be a little bit diffi- more difficult to modify your learn- loan terms down the road. Um, and then it, because with the hard money lenders, what we've done as well is, if we get into a property and we realize we can increase the value even more by doing more rehab, we've renegotiated our construction loans with a couple of our lenders. Said, hey, instead of having a $500,000 construction loan, can we up that to say, you know, $800,000 or a million? And here's why. And we show that we're able to get higher rent than we had originally projected. I would rather use more um, leverage within reason than equity. Because if we can have that huge value add scale, scalability to the property, it's cheaper to pay a lender 9% than it is equity at, you know, 15 to 20%. So that way, if we can continue to maximize leverage, the investors that invest in that deal end up making a higher return.
1: Yeah, I always tell folks, hey, look, if it doesn't matter if you have $100 in a deal or $100,000 in a deal. If you're playing with the equity piece of it, you still control the equity, right? So the more you can control with less money in a the deal, the, the more you boost your cash on cash return. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, there is... <clears throat> Diminishing returns as well. There's a couple of properties that we've looked at that it actually made sense to have a little bit lower leverage and use a little bit more equity because of the valley of death where there's a property we've had to vacate. It was a 32 unit. We had to vacate it down to four units occupied. So we were essentially 90% vacant during the renovation stage. Well, if you have too high of leverage during those times, you have to raise equity to make the debt payment. And the challenge with that is now, instead of just paying a 12% interest on your loan or 9%, whatever the loan is, we also have to pay a return to that equity. So there's times where it actually makes sense to have more equity in the deal and less loan. So we, when we run these numbers, we always um, adjust on our pro forma, the loan amounts to see how it affects the return. But, but most times it, it makes sense to get a higher leverage loan.
1: Ben, are you guys syndicating these deals or just using hard money and bringing your own capital? Like, how are you financing?
0: So, we are syndicating Um, in our capital stack. um, First is the loan, the loan is always in first position, and then we syndicate the rest of it. Uh, Most of our loans were able to get around 80% plus or minus um, loan to cost, and then that 20% is syndicated through friends and family. We've done Two different funds we have done a 506b which is uh, no crowdfunding that's existing relationships only and then we've done 506c which is a crowdfunding platform that you can go out and market to the world um, the, the downside with a 506c is all the investors have to be accredited you're not able to take any non-accredited so when we're working with our friends and family the 506b can be nice because there's some other people that still like to put in, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 in our deals, but they might not be accredited, but they trust us and they've done uh, deals time after time after time. And we like to continue to use them because they really helped launch the business. They were the first people to put up money when we got into you know, houses and then multifamily.
1: What's up guys, it's your host, Jerome. I just wanna let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now let's get back to the episode. So when you get deep into the deals, are you guys refinancing and keeping them or are you always flipping them?
0: To date, we've always flipped them. Um, our target was 18 to 24 months for these flips, but we are transitioning into what we call legacy ownership. We want to look at these deals by a little bit newer deals instead of the 1960s and seventies. I want to start looking at 1980 and 1990 and do 10 to 30 year performance to see how these deals would look holding them long term. Um, The reason for that is all of these people I know that are much, much older than I am that have had successful careers, whether they've worked in real estate their whole life or had another business and then put their profits in real estate, the people that have the most stability and wealth have held. Um, Flipping is fun. You can make cash, put money in the bank, you know, within a few years you can make a decent income. But if you sell all of your buildings, you're essentially unemployed. You have no more cash coming in. And with flipping, you're always chasing the next, next deal. You're addicted to that flip. But in a market like we are in today with this coronavirus going around, well, if, if you have enough deals in your portfolio, you don't have to buy or sell. You just say, do you know what? I'm waiting. I'm just gonna pause, I'm gonna collect my rents. And then, then you can be really patient and sniper focused find that deal that you love because I believe right now there's going to be some good deals popping up. Yeah.
1: So let's take it back to the property managers. You kind of said, Hey, they they lost interest. They weren't raking money because they weren't collecting much in rent. What process change did you guys make in order to prevent this from happening again? Because you know, your back is against the wall when you got that hard money and you got to execute your business plan.
0: So we have a manager, one that we use in Tucson. She's great. So she has a unique business model that a lot of lenders and other owners don't uh, have never used. Uh, it's just atypical to the to property management. We have a 75 unit that she manages right now with no onsite manager, and she manages it remotely. What she does have at the property is somebody that gets uh, reduced rent as part of com- compensation, and what they do is they just open the doors for the manager. So our, our property manager fields all the calls, applications, background checks, and then uh, she deals with the move in and move out. so that way we don't have to pay you know eighteen dollars an hour to an on-site manager. We can pay five hundred dollars a month in reduced rent. Now you have somebody that still lives at the property that's eyes on the property. Um, they're motivated because they live there very inexpensively and it's part- time for them. Um, you know they're not opening doors all day long so it's just you know, a couple times a day, maybe to open go open up doors and they get reduced rent so that we find that, especially if there's a family where say the husband is working and the wife is a stay at home mom. Well, it really motivates them for that wife to, to help out in the community like that because now it's less stress for them for rent. Um, so when, when we were looking around for management companies, we started calling all the brokers in town and we were saying, look, um, on the on the 52 unit, we're like, look, we, we need a new manager. Who is the right person? Because the challenge with 52 units, it's an odd size. It's big enough where you really do want somebody on site, but it's small enough where you can't budget somebody 40 hours a week either. And nobody I know wants to only work 15 or 20 hours a week. Everybody wants a full-time job. So that's when we got introduced to this manager that has a unique system and she saved our tail on that property we did really well actually we bought that property for 1.56 million um, 30,000 dollars a door that's cheap and a year and a half later we sold it for two and a half million and we only had like 150,000 dollars or two hundred thousand dollars in reno <laughs> and so the property itself wasn't a bad property it just needed a few thousand dollars per unit to clean it up and so, when she came in, and she actually filled up the property, got it to ninety percent occupied in a couple months.
1: Uh, from, went down to twenty six, right?
0: Yeah, it went down to twenty six. So she got back up to the high forties in a couple months of twenty units. So she was filling, you know, a unit every other day or every three days. So who does the collections in this model? So she does all the collections, and she's been transitioning all the people, even in class C, to pay online through the portal. And if they can't pay online, they have to mail the check into the office or drop it off at the office. Um, but she has been slowly transitioning all of our residents to pay online uh, for two reasons. She tells them, once you pay online, it's in. It's trackable uh, for both people. It's trackable for the manager, it's trackable for the resident. And most people have smartphones nowadays. Um, even the low income, uh, we walk our properties and there's a lot of smartphones. So. Th- they most of our the people are actually preferring to pay online because they don't have to get in their car and drive, maybe say, pick, pick up a money order and then drive to the manager's office and drop it off or, or mail it. They just hop on their phone and pay. Um, and that's through, I believe we use app folio for that manager. So they, they have systems through their property management software to, to do that.
1: Nice. I like the hybrid model. Um, so what is the, One thing or some words of wisdom you would give to our listeners who are in the space and either doing their first deal or scaling on their next.
0: Be very conservative on all aspects of the deal. Um, Bruce had told me, he chatted about some of the construction costs, put a contingency in there because when you walk a building, we all have our expectations on what we want to spend for renovation. But until you start getting into units, you don't really know exactly what you're going to spend. You start, say, getting under the cabinets, or there's units that get damaged. There's times you walk the property, and the unit might be in somewhat bad shape, but then six months or a year later, when that person moves out, it might actually be in worse shape than you had originally budgeted, because that's happened, where people have moved out, um, maybe they're upset at us for some reason, and they've damaged the unit on the way out. Have a contingency in your construction for, you know, no crap, hit the fan, you know, and and the last thing you want is to be 70 or 80% through your project and run out of money. Um, The second thing is double check the rents. As we all know, this is an income and expense game. Make sure that you can get those rents today and not banking multiple years in the future. I get it. We all put rent and growth in our performance and we have to put those in there but don't bank on a rent that's completely out of market and saying, oh, I can re- rehab this building, be the nicest one in the neighborhood, and I'll get $300 higher than everybody else. Sometimes it works, but it really you really have to dive into each property in that specific neighborhood. Um, and then be conservative on timelines. Um, if you say I'm gonna be in, in and out of this deal in 18 months, Stress tested. What happens if it's 24 months? What happens if it's 30 months? Um, There's so many things that can happen once you get into a building, the market could shift. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of that right now. What happens if you say that you wanted to sell it in May of this year? What if it's not a good time to sell it? Do you have the ability to hold it for another six or 12 months to wait for that opportune time?
1: And that's what we're going through right now. We've got two that we're either going to refi or sell. And it's like, okay, what do we do? Do we go to market or do we pull back and
0: wait? So the thing we have, we have two deals in escrow to sell right now in Tucson. And we have talked a lot internally about what happens if they don't close. And we, we do have refi options for both of those properties. Um, they're both great properties. So we would like to sell them because we told our investors on those deals that this is a buy, fix and sell. But I think they would understand if we would go back and say, Hey, look, we are in escrow. The buyer didn't execute. Um, we're going to refinance the property, hopefully get them some of their original capital back. If not as much of it, you know, all of it or, or as much as possible. So that way they have less risk in the deal. You know, they're just at that point tying up their future profits and then tell them we're going to hold it for say 12 or 24 months from here. And then we'll see how, when we can exit the deal. Um, I still feel very confident in real estate in the long run, right. you know, I think there are certain cities in the U S that are going to get hit really hard in this, um, Arizona, you know, I'm not going to say I'm overly optimistic, but we are, we're still such an undersupply market. We do not have enough inventory for the population growth here. That's why I think in the long run, we might go through a, a temporary, you know, period of struggle but then I think we'll rebound. Um, but who, who knows? That, that's kind of the, that's the question that everybody's asking right now. And I don't think anybody for sure knows. Yeah,
1: I agree with you, Ben. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, how can the listeners get in contact with you if they have any questions?
0: They can always email me, uh, Ben at Bakerson.com. So Baker's, Bakerson is spelled B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N. And then my cell phone is 480-307-3313. And you can call me. If I don't answer, I'm a fast texter. So you can text me at any time. Um, And if I don't answer, obviously, just leave me a voicemail or send me a text.
1: Wow. That's really generous, Ben. I appreciate you sharing that with the folks. If there comes a time where you want me to edit it out, let me know, all right? All right. (laughs) Until the next time, we'll talk to you guys soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.